We're going to get into uh, the message here today. We are in a series, Spirit-Empowered People, and we're looking today at Spirit-Empowered Healing. Like, as charismatics get a little more excited this morning, healing today. And uh, I just believe in this church we are called to be a healing house. Um, We have amazing RTF, which is deep spiritual healing. But also, there just seems to be always a presence in the worship, in the messages, that we want to see people transformed. That's why we exist. We exist as a church, as a transforming people in the way of Jesus, to go out and transform our worlds. That we're not saved to a place, but we're saved for a purpose. Don't ever get tired of that this morning, church. Don't ever get tired this morning of having a purpose that God wants to transform and bring new life here and now. Amen? And so we're excited here. So if you turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And we honor the word by standing. So would you stand this morning? The words will be on the screen. I just want to read this passage here this morning. It says this. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They would come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was sitting uh, with him to heal. And behold, some of the men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down. And with his bed threw the tiles in the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Next slide, please. There we go. Sorry. Um, yeah, next slide. You got a next slide there? There we go. Thank you. And the scribes of the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus received their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven to you, or say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness here today. Lord God, we thank you that you are here present before us. Lord, that you are a good father, which we have already sung about. God, that you have been just so faithful. And God, we want to come into that faithfulness here today. We want to see, Lord, your heart come move amongst our hearts. Lord, that you would transform our hearts. Open our ears, eyes, hearts, and minds to your word, your goodness. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Jan, I'm going to need your help. This device is not working. So you can go to the next slide, please. Next one after that. There we go. I don't know what's... Technology is wonderful, right? Um, So spirit-empowered healing is our word today. Everybody hurts, REM wrote. Anyone know REM? Everybody hurts, but don't let yourself go because everybody cries. Everybody hurts sometimes. Don't feel strange, don't feel out of place, 
But this is an answer that the world gives to us. It's an answer that the world says it's just what it is. Pain is a part of life. Deal with it. It feels just normal. Don't feel strange, though, at the same time when you're going through it. But just deal with it. And so often when pain comes into our world, we freeze. It feels like we're frozen in a moment because we feel like this is just all the norm. This is what life is. I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my life. I'm frozen. Or the other example that we have, we have this kind of like distraction game where I can just distract myself from the pain that I feel. We distract ourselves with those wonderful binge shows that we just want to get involved in on. Or we distract ourselves with entertainment. We distract ourselves with substance. We retract ourselves from the pain that feels beneath. Yet also in the human condition, we fight. We fight as well. There's something beautiful about the fight in a human heart. The fight to find healing, to try and find medicines, ways that will be able to heal people. We celebrate the medical breakthroughs. We desire self-improvement. That is almost marked by our designer. It's like we are marked by a designer who has the same traits. Because the very first words that the Father, God, spoke into existence was, let there be light. The world was formless and void. It was chaotic. The world was in pain, and he spoke healing into existence. That's what God does. He speaks into existence. And not only that, he breathed his life into us. That he took dust, he formed it, he spoke everything else into existence. Yet for humanity, he breathed into us. This healing wind into our very being that we would mimic his same traits. Yahweh, when he introduces himself to Moses in Exodus 34, he introduces himself as Yahweh, compassionate, mercy. I love this. Compassion is passion on mission. That God was on mission to heal, to reconcile his people back to him. We see the son, Jesus, come to earth. He was the embodiment of the Father. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have also seen the Father. In Matthew 4, it says, so his fame spread throughout all of the area. Why? Because he was healing the sick. He was bringing those who were broken whole. He died upon the cross for our sickness. He died upon the cross that our spirits that were broken would be reconciled back to him and made whole. Then we receive the spirit and we become that very healing work. The very first action of the spirit on Pentecost was the unification of people. Suddenly different voices of different tribes and nations were brought together by the one spirit. The very first healing was reconciliation. That's beautiful. This nature story that carries on going throughout all of time. And I love that about God, that he is about that. He is about that way of life. And this carries on through all of church culture. Next slide, Jan. This is the oldest piece of artwork to be found. It's actually at Yale University. And this picture was found in a church home in the Middle East. Can you imagine that? They found on these walls scratchings. 
And on those scratchings was this story of the paralyzed man. The very first artwork to be found scratched in onto a wall was a healing. And this was found above a baptism pool in a house. How good is that? I think that's why we should have jacuzzis in our house. So that we can have baptisms ready, that our houses will be equipped as followers of Jesus to just baptize any person any moment. And so this is found in a house, the artwork. And this artwork carried on throughout history. Next slide there, Jam. It said this, and so these paintings of Jesus captured throughout history, the Van Dykes, the Rembrandts. Jesus has a nice tan going on. He's very glowy this morning in that place. But they captured artwork of his healing, ministered to the broken. Notice in every picture, he is the centralized structure amongst chaos all around him. He is the solid foundation that brings healing and restoration. Next slide there, Jam. And so our hearts, they seriously crave healing don't they? This morning, you came not only to glorify God, but you came this morning because your heart may be broken. Maybe your heart needs something fixed, transformed in it. Maybe you don't even realize you need healing. And so we're in this state of the now and not yet. Yes, the kingdom has come and invaded, and we believe that the kingdom of God is not, as I said, a place, but it is invading here and now that we are seeing healings and transformation come. But I think we forget that we are a spirit-empowered healing people. And so this is a very complicated discussion, right? Because we've all experienced the healing power because you are saved. That's a healing work. But yet at the same time, we have watched people that we've prayed over relentlessly, wept and cried out to God for, yet they have passed that it didn't always happen the way that we wanted it to. So we stand in this fractured way of wanting to see healing and breakthrough for physicality, but at the same time, we don't always see it happen. And we live in this framework of wrestling. And I think in the Western world, we try and reason away so much of that. If I'm honest here as, as your pastor, I think for me, just spending this last month really reading and getting into this healing again, it's reorientated my belief system. Because I think so often I've erred on the sufferings of Christ, which is extremely powerful and true that the sufferings bring about transformation. But I think sometimes in my Western thought process, I just put it in that category too much. And sometimes I don't contend enough for God's healing power. We need to hold both in the same hand. We are not or or nothing. We are not the cessationist that believes that healings don't happen anymore, nor do we hold the ultra faith that everyone should be physically healed in this life. But there is sufferings, and we need to hold the pendulum of both in the same hand at the same time. We need to wrestle with both church. Because trust is formed in both. And if I can summarize my belief system in one phrase, because I don't want to get into the theological weeds today, but if I could summarize it in one phrase, it is this. Trust God for healing, but we trust God no matter what. We trust God for healing always. We contend, but we trust God no matter what. And all of this is a journey of trust that we need to go in. So my question today, next slide, Jam. What does it mean for us to be a healing community? 
What does it mean for us to be a healing community? So I want to go through this story again with this framework in mind today. You've heard this story growing up, I'm sure. Maybe you've done countless drawings. Maybe you even acted it out of trying to lower your friend into a space. We did that. We had some friends try and react because that's what you do in youth groups. You try and recreate the Bible stories. I don't know if maybe we had a cool youth group. It's okay. If you can have prayer afterwards for that. But let's place ourselves in this story. Let's build some context here today. The oppression from a Roman rule. So you thought your taxes were bad now. You had 80% taxes upon your living wage. So instantly, 80% of whatever you earned was taken away and given to the Roman rulers of the day. It was hard enough trying to make ends meet because bread and prices like that, food was the uptake that would consume also equally a month. And so if you weren't um, healthy, you were going to struggle. Life expectancy was extremely short. Family was extremely important. And so every day felt like trying to make it through. Every day felt like trying to breathe as a slow suffocation was happening. But also on top of that, you had the religious leaders of the day. They were putting these amazing and hard rules upon each person. This religious order, not just the oppression of Rome, but the oppression of Jewish leaders was strangling these people out. But the cool thing was happening. There was this noise that was happening. There was this man called Jesus, this rabbi. This word, this name kept coming, this Jesus. He talks differently. He teaches differently. He has power We heard that a leper just got healed. We heard that a a leper was cleansed. In fact, someone saw it and he's coming to this town. Suddenly in your heart's awakening inside of you that actually, wow, could it be possible that this Jesus could heal me? What would it be that you would go to Jesus for today? I want you to think about that right now. What would you bring to Jesus? If Jesus was coming to a house in Washington right now, what would you bring as needed of healing to him today? Imagine this paralyzed man's life. Maybe you know physical paralyzing experiences. But for many of us, we don't fully know the physicality. But imagine this. You're paralyzed by your habits. You're paralyzed maybe by your guilt. Maybe you're paralyzed by your perfectionism. Let's get real here today. That we are so paralyzed by the habits of our lives and the things we don't even realize it and we're walking with a limp. The amazing thing about this, he had friends that walked with him every single day. Have you ever found that? Those friends that will just walk with you? They've been walking with him every single day and they hear about this Jesus coming into the space of Capernaum and they say, this could be the one. This could be the one. We'll call him John for today. John, this could be the one. Let's try and go for it. And so they take him up this one more time, and maybe they've tried countless other times to try and get into that space, and it's failed every single time. And John feels an inconvenience. You know, I don't want to take it, guys. Guys, you know, we've tried so many times before. Do you really think this is the one that's going to change everything? And the friends almost bolster in sense, yes, this is the one. We've seen him. Someone, one of my friends told me this could be the one. This could be the Messiah. 
Imagine that moment. So bolstered by this expectancy, John lets them take him. And he takes them on the round. But they come up to the house and the crowd is full to capacity. And you imagine that sinking feeling again. Oh no, can't do it. There's another barrier in the way. Let's just go home. Let's just get out of here because it's just another thing that I feel like it's just going to be another failure. And so, bolstered by the friends, I believe again, they say, no, let's go. Can you imagine sitting in the room as you're listening to Jesus teach, as you're listening to the words of life? Suddenly you hear voices on top of the roof. And suddenly there was some crackling and some movement, some loud noises, and bang, the light comes into the room. You're blinded for a second as you kind of try and get your gaze again. And you see these voices suddenly plead, a son of David, have mercy on me type language. Would you have mercy on our friend? He needs healing. Everyone in shock and awe in that moment trying to understand what on earth has just happened. But we notice that Jesus' face is not angry. In fact, he's full of joy. He's happy that these people have just ruined someone's roof. They're happy that this person has come to bring a disturbance in a religious service. If this happened in the synagogue, he would have been beaten for this. But Jesus is happy? What kind of rabbi is he? So Jesus beckons them down. And as he hits the floor... He says these words, son, your sins are forgiven, which seems really cruel because already in the day, that was the thought of the day, that our sins are so attached to our brokenness, he must have done something really wrong. And John might have been a really good guy that tried to follow God. He might have tried his whole life. And so for Jesus to call out his sin would almost feel like a shame tactic. But that's far from Jesus' hope at all. It's the beautiful thing that we need to realize that Jesus is doing something far deeper in this moment. He was informing that the sin issue and the physicality are entwined, but actually the sin issue is just as important as the physical healing that we need. See, healing is holistic. A lot of times I meet Christians who just separate healing just for the physicality. But actually, healing is holistic, You have emotions, you have mind, you are a body, you are a soul, and all of those parts need healing. I would argue Jesus does always heal, but we don't always see it. I would argue that Jesus does heal souls. He heals the spirit, but you can't tell until you start seeing the fruits. I believe God does always heal, but it's not always the way that we believe or want it to be. And so with this room stunned in this moment, The man steps onto his feet because he says, get up and walk. These Pharisees mad in this moment. And each foot that went down, suddenly celebration erupted. Can you imagine the celebration in that moment? Can you imagine that? It would go nuts. Jewish people know how to celebrate. Their weddings are, what, five days long? Can you imagine the euphoria in that moment? And I bet, Jesus healed a bunch of other people in that space as well. But Luke is actually doing something. Can I just nerd out on you just for a moment? You okay with that? Because this is really cool. And I discovered this just through some of the commentaries. And I thought this was really, really cool. Because Luke is taking you on a journey. He's not just kind of eyes rolled back, writing down words. No, he's actually intentionally telling you a story about Jesus. And so when you jump in Jesus' ministry, remember the first part where he went to his hometown and they rejected him because they didn't believe in him, right? 
So then we have chapter 5 opens up and he calls the first disciples. But Luke makes an interesting point. He talks about when Simon, Simon Peter, comes to Jesus and his conversion was one where um, he was fishing and he couldn't catch anything. Jesus told drop the nets. He said, okay, if you say it. Then they had a massive amount of fish that came up out onto the boat, right? And he said these words, depart from me for I am a sinful man. God's goodness made him aware of his sinfulness. And so we're awakened that there is a sinful issue in our hearts. He then goes on to cleanse the leper. Leprosy is a form of sin that outcasts us from God. And then he talks about how sin paralyzes us. And so the crescendo moment of Luke is this, but the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. That is the crescendo moment of Luke because then he goes on to call sinners. That's the story. It's not just about Jesus healing sinners, healing and transform. He is beckoning and calling in these uh, people into his worlds. And so this is the revelation that we need to have. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Like, that's the crescendo phrase, and this is what we need to kind of understand right here. So if you go to the next slide, Jan, next slide. Relax into his healing authority. If you remember nothing else about today's talk, just hold on to this phrase. This is the phrase we're going to spend the rest of our time on as we just pull out just a couple of points from this passage. Relax into his healing authority. And this phrase has opposing ideas. To relax in authority, that doesn't always feel so good, right? I mean, when police drive around, do you grip the wheel just a little tighter? Do you slow down in that moment? Like suddenly when authority comes into the room, I don't feel so relaxed. Do you? Some people do, that's fine. But sometimes when we relax, it's hard to relax when we have authority in the room. But there is that element of we can find relaxing. If we understood how good Jesus was, how good of a person he is, we could relax into it. Think of this, when your dad drove a car. I think there's nothing more relaxing than when my dad was driving. He was just one of those solid drivers that nothing ever happened or went wrong. But he definitely had authority in that car. He told us when to stop complaining, stop asking. Uh, he decided what was on uh, the station, right? Until we start getting our own CD players and all that good stuff. And so there was authority in the space, but there was safety. And at the same time, I could relax. I could go to sleep. Um, my wife, Rachel, she's finally starting to relax while I drive. Um, we've been married 14 years almost. And so uh, we, we've done long trips. I've driven down to Florida, and she was not good at sleeping. Any kind of nudge, bump, she'd be like jolting up. And so we're getting there, right? She said after 14 years, you know, I'm just relaxing because normally she'd like jolt when there's a car coming. I was like, I was like, why are you doing that? I saw it. Oh, well, I'm, I've not been paying attention to the road. So that was a victory for my driving right there. But we think about as well safety when there is this event that goes on. Isn't it so relaxing when you know that the event has someone in charge? I don't need to worry about this and that. I mean, every Sunday is an event for me, so I have to event manage every single Sunday. And I, I'm, I'm always running around like a headless chicken, right? Um, but when I'm in a space where I know it's being taken care of, 
I can begin to relax? What if the authority of Jesus is so good that we can relax into it? What if that? Thank you. Amen. Let's bring that. What if we could just relax into his? And so next slide there, Jam. So lean into expectancy. So when we understand that we can relax into something, I can lean into expectancy. So when I'm at an event, when I can lean back because whoever's running it is so good, I can have an expectation. I can get excited about what this event's about to be. I don't have to worry about, oh, is this going to work out? Is this going to be here? No, I get to get expectant about a party. I get to be expectant about what is going to happen. I get to just rest into it. And I believe that this is the faith that the men had, that when Jesus saw their faith, he saw expectancy. They, expectancy, when we lean into expectancy, we have a different perspective. See, they already had a different perspective. They honored their friend. They saw a future for their friend. How good is that? Do you have friends that will honor you and see a future, or will they hold you in your chains of who you are? Can we be a church that doesn't see people for just who they are, but who they are in Christ? Do you see people around you as future? Do you even care about the people in this community? Do you care for them that way? Or do we get so self-absorbed sometime in my own future that I don't care about the expectancy for other people's lives? That's a challenge. We're close there. Just a challenge. Think about it. How do you perceive one another in this place? Do you hold them in that space of who they are? Or do you want to see them in their future, in their wholeness, in their goodness? See, a lot of times we just see the problems. And that's fine, we can see the problems. But the Holy Spirit is here to give us solutions. And I get it, I'm not harking on my friends who are a glass half empty friends, right? Like, I'm married to one and it's okay, we even each other out. I am super, I am super like positive, right? Positivity is way up there and we balance each other out. In fact, when I become negative, she's like, well, she completely flips and becomes positive. So it's great. It's probably just because I'm so positive, she just wants to balance me out. Um, but so often we focus on the problems. We just bring the problems when the Holy Spirit wants to bring solutions. Secondly, when we have a different expectancy, we have a different perseverance. You know that? When you have an expectancy that something can happen, you don't give up. Have you found that in life? That when you see, when you know you have that expectancy, you persevere, you don't let go. My son has an expectancy for toys sometimes, especially Beyblades is his kick at the moment. I have never met someone more full of faith that he's going to get something. And he is relentless until he gets it. It is non-ending. He is going to be a salesman when he's older. It's, and I'm sure for kids of your own that you've had, they're just relentlessly asking in different ways, and you know the narratives they're trying to spin on you to try and say, well, Dad, you know, I've just been looking at this website. I found a really good deal on this one. You found those ones where he's just like, look, Dad, if I just do this, this, and this, I can earn this. I've got this money. I can buy it. He is really good at spending our money in that one. And Prophet Ed Trout did prophesy that over him. He would be at that. So we try and watch for that. But do you have an expectancy? When you have an expectancy that sees rightly, you persevere. 
These guys might have been on their last hit. Things in you that see a different perseverance because they have an expectancy for your life. Again, this is what healing in community looks like. I think so often we get wrapped up in our own healing, in our own messes, when we fail to look and be the healing community to one another. That we fail to have perseverance for one another. This is so challenging to me. I'm preaching to myself, so this is good for me. So how's your vision for one another? Not vision for your own life. How is the vision for healing? Are you willing to rip a roof off a house for someone? Are you willing to rip a roof off a house? Nelson might be. Let's see, you have to repair it afterwards. But are you willing, as a metaphor, I don't want you to start ripping off houses and stuff like that. As a metaphor, are you willing to make that sacrifice for people? Because that's our second point. Jan, if you go next slide there. Lean into sacrifice. Someone's going to have to repair the roof, the roof that was taken off. There will be a cost for the roof. There was time and energy that the men went and followed those people, that they had to time and energy to take the man to all those probably different places. And again, to take that guy there, there needed to be some time and energy. It requires work. There's work in healing. Now, already, for some of you, you're like, work, that feels very countercultural to the Christian experience of grace. And I think we've missed the narrative. I love this about grace. Dallas Willard says this. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning it. Say that again. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning it. And I'd put that same narrative on healing. Healing is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to you trying to earn your healing. And I think this makes us sometimes really nervous because didn't Johnny just say that it's relaxed into his authority? Now, I believe in active rest. I'm an active rest kind of guy. What does that even mean? When we rest, we need to remind ourselves that we are not human doings. We are human beings. A lot of times, for some of you who work with your hands and are very busy physically, you need to rest physically. For me, a lot of mental energy gets used. And so for me, active rest is really fun. We got to go away uh, with some friends, BJ and Lisa, to Washington, D.C. That was, su- that was restful for me. Like, I was go, 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 go. Rachel knows that about me. She was very graceful. She goes, this is not vacation for me, by the way. Um, she is by the pool, tanning, oil, and sunscreen, staying out the sun. Um, but we have different ideas of what rest is. And active rest is just as important as physical rest that we need to remind ourselves as we get out in creation. And so like healing, I believe that we need to have active work. Healing is not opposed to effort, but it's opposed to you earning it. You cannot unlock your healing. Let me set that straight. There is no word, no incarnation, incarnation that would bring about the uh, magical healing work of Jesus. Um, parallel to the religious leaders of the day, they just sat pointing at what was wrong. They didn't help get the person down from the roof. They didn't reach out to help the man in any way. Instead, they showed indifference. Instead of faith, they showed criticism. And you 
have got to sacrifice for the right authority. It's going to require work, and sacrifice is so worth it. I'm thankful for the men and women of our country that give the ultimate sacrifice. And they sacrifice their authority so that we are safe. They deny who they are so that we can be safe. And I believe that we need to be a community that picks up that mantle of sacrifice. Will you sacrifice for another person in this house? Will you sacrifice for your family? Because we need it. If we want to be a spirit-empowered people, we need to have expectancy for another person. But we also need to have sacrifice. Third, um, here, third point, if you go to the next slide. We want to lean into vulnerability. Let's look at the paralyzed man here, and we'll land on this point. And this point, I believe, is the foundational point of the whole triad that we're looking at today. Physical vulnerability. He had a physical vulnerability, but he still had to do the work for an inward vulnerability. See, healing needs vulnerability. The process of pain, it brings us to the end of ourselves. Have you ever found that in life? That when you have something that's so incapacitating to you, that you're so broken, it just brings you to the end of who you are. Like I think about my own life. Physical things, no. But sometimes some of the mental stuff I've gone through, I never forget at 20 years old, um, at Bible college, just having a mental breakdown. It was one of the first of many kind of things that God led me through. But I came to the end of myself and I said, I can't do this anymore. For whatever reason, I feel like I'm super insecure. I don't know who I am. I don't know what on earth is happening in my mind. I need help. And so in my time back in England, I received RTF. These guys did amazing just breaking off curses, breaking off the things that the enemy had held me in, these lies that I'd spoken over myself. But it was only when I came to the end of myself, when I was fully vulnerable with another person, that healing could come about. But the problem is that our narrative in this world is follow your heart's desire. Follow your truth. You do you. And the worrying thing that we're going to see more and more is because if I'm my own authority, this message is offensive. Any person telling me what to do that's not my truth, not following my desire, that doesn't enable me to do what I want to do, that's offensive, right? Right? Just, just making sure everyone's hearing it's okay. Um, and so what we do is we create, so we create control in our worlds. And so we create a false self to protect ourselves from all other people. And we try to prove how good we are. We try to make sure that um, we don't show any weakness whatsoever. But as I said, the greatest need of our age is for healing to occur, we need to be vulnerable. We need to release control, submitting ourselves to others, to be carried by other people. Again, I think one of my struggle points is, is the mental game that I have. And we, I won't go into all the, all the other stuff, history, family history, and all that, that good stuff. But I remember when the pandemic first kicked off, about eight weeks in, the adrenaline rush broke off, and I just had a breakdown before Mothering Sunday. 
I was like, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Why am I a pastor? All those questions came in. And I'm, my coach at the time um, told me uh, when I shared him all of this, he said, you're living unbiblically, Johnny. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, I mean, I, I'm really good at like, following scripture and stuff. Like, how am I living un- unbiblically? He said, you're not being a burden to anybody. And I was like, knife to the chest. And so I've been working with my leadership over these years to try and, and I'm still a work in progress. The leaders will tell you I'm still a work in progress. I hold a lot of things. I'm able to do a lot of things, um, but God is saying, Johnny, you need to let go. You need to let go. You need to let go. And I need to be vulnerable with people. I want to be a culture of a church of vulnerability in our church. That yes, I'm a leader in the house, but that doesn't mean anything in spirituality. We are all loved the same. And I want to encourage each and every one of us into that journey of vulnerability as I am vulnerable with my brokenness, that you in turn would feel safe to be able to be vulnerable with one another, that we are all on a journey of pointing people to Jesus. And so vulnerability is revealing all of who you are. It's the journey of actually finding who you are. That's the beautiful thing. And this man actually brought all of himself to Jesus. He was completely at the end of himself. Imagine him being lowered into this space. The shame that he could have felt in that space. Like he was used to being just cared for off onto the side. But now he has become center attention of the room. Like you've got to get rid of some, some heart stuff done to be able to go into the center of a room when you've just been kicked off to the side your entire time. He was at the end of himself. But I love that Jesus is attracted to the broken self. Like Jesus is literally attracted to those who are broken people. He didn't come for the well. He came for the broken. He came for the sick. And I love that in this moment, he welcomes it. And he says these words, my son. In the Greek, tekken, which means child which means my descendant, my child, like you are my child. I care for you like a father, my child. Isn't that beautiful that when we lean into vulnerability, when we bear already what God knows about us, but when we actually give all of who we are to him, that he says, my son, my daughter. There is a father that sees your brokenness and says, Son, daughter, come into this space. And I think for some of us as well, we need to hear these words, your sins are forgiven. Some of you have become too Christian. And so when you hear your sins are forgiven, we've been living so much not realizing that we need the daily voice of son, daughter, you are mine. You need to hear your sins are forgiven. Your debt's free. You are a son and daughter. If you just go to this next slide here, Jack. Neither knowing God nor knowing self can progress very far unless it begins with a knowledge of how deeply we are loved by God. It's one of my favorite quotes from David Benner. Until we dare to believe that nothing can separate us from God's love, nothing that we could do or fail to do, nor anything that could be done has been done, by anyone else to us. We remain in the elementary grades of school, Christian spirituality transformation. 
So if we just live on that head knowledge, genuine transformation requires vulnerability. It's not the fact of being loved unconditionally that changes your life. It is the risky experience of allowing myself to be loved unconditionally. Let that sink in. It isn't the fact of knowing, though that is an amazing truth that we should know that we are unconditionally loved, but it's only when you take the risk of actually bearing all your brokenness, you actually allow yourself to be loved unconditionally. That's when true healing comes. Go to the next slide there, Jim. And so this is my challenge here today as a healing community. How's your expectancy this morning? Did you come in this morning even expecting for a miracle or healing in your life? Don't just think healing is about your physical condition. Healing is about your emotions, your mind. We all need healed. We all need to be carried. But also we need to be carrying one another. Who are you carrying today? Who are you even in relationship in this house today? If we are to be brothers and sisters in a house, if we're called to be community, if the world will know that there is a God, as 1 John says, by the way that we love one another, how are you loving one another? Or if you fell into your own world, your own kingdoms, where you have your own control and your own self, and you failed in being a healing power to another person. How about your workplace? How about your vocation? How are you living out a spirit-empowered healing to other people? For some of you, you actually live in the medical field, so you're doing that on a regular basis. That's your mindset. What about for all of us in this space? How are we relaxing in the authority of Jesus. Because remember, that's where it starts. When we relax in the authority, we have expectancy. When we relax in his authority, we can sacrifice. When we relax in his authority, we can be vulnerable with one another. Do you believe that he's a good authority? Do you believe that he's worth trusting in? Because I believe that God wants to burst forth miracles in this house. But this is what needs to happen. You've got to relax into his healing power. And until we learn what that means, we won't be able to pass that on to the next generation. We won't be able to pass that on to this city that has the whiskey rebellion. Let's talk about that for a second. A culture that has a whiskey rebellion. That doesn't sound like it submits or relaxes to authority too much, right? Just from an outsider, just talking to the culture. <laughs> if the culture is here where rebellion sits, don't for a second think that you don't live in it. Don't think for a second, just because you don't participate in the event, that your heart will naturally move towards rebellion. There is something spiritual over this place. There is revival birthed in this land. And we've got to learn to relax to Jesus. We've got to learn to relax in his authority, his will, his desire for your life. When we move out of that, things get out of whack and we don't see healing. So I hope this is a good message for you today. It's challenging. We want to open up this space right here just for some healing. So if